0: This is how it's done. computer updates. Is it echoing? I don't hear nothing either. Alright, um PTZ camera. And go down just a little bit. There you go. Something like that. We'll get close enough. Well praise the Lord. We're gonna we're gonna do Sunday school over here this morning because I can be ne- closer to Nathan. Don't you feel special? Uh-huh. Actually, it's to be closer over here to Mary and Dylan. Make sure. I hate computer updates. If that's what it's doing. It's trying to do a computer update. And so it works good? Okay, good. We're good then. All right. Well, praise the Lord. We're glad to be in the house of God this morning. We're going to uh, go ahead and get started in our Sunday school lesson. Uh, before we do, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to touch and minister in our Sunday school class today. Yes, I'm over on the side. We've got stuff set up on the stage getting ready for our morning worship, so we're going to do a little, we'll have some moving around a little bit, but it'll be all right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to touch and minister in our Sunday school class today. Uh, we do have some that are sick, want to continue to be holding them up to God in prayer. We want to continue to be praying for our homebounds. Uh, remember, we do have 13 of those. They are on our address directory. Uh, reach out to them, call them, touch base with them, and let them know that you are uh, thinking about them. They'd love to hear from you. Uh, so if you've got a prayer request, let me know by lifting your hand, God knows every need. If you are joined us on live stream, you can text the keyword PRAYER to the number listed below. Text keyword PRAYER to 205-642-8744. Dear, kind and gracious Heavenly Fathers, we come to you today. Again, thank you for the blessings that you've given us. Thank you for this opportunity that you've allowed us to come to worship and praise you. Father, this morning, I pray that you'll move and minister in a mighty way in our Sunday school class today. You see every, everyone that's here today. You see those that's in our, ki- our nursery, our kids' class, our teens, our young adults here in the sanctuary. Uh, those that have joined us on live feed, Father, I pray that you'd move and minister in every heart and every life in a mighty way I pray, Father, that you'll touch us, give us the words to say, touch our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our minds to comprehend your word this very day. We forever give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Uh, Our unit theme that we've been talking about over the last uh, couple of weeks, this is our third Sunday School lesson on our unit theme, and our unit theme is Gospel by Matthew, Gospel by Matthew uh, Jesus the teacher. This is looking out of the book of Matthew and we're digging into the life of Christ, how Christ taught, the th- lessons that he taught. Uh, and I was actually talking to a pastor friend of mine the other day and we was actually talking about uh, the life of Christ. We're getting into the uh, birth of Christ, we're, that season. We're getting into the time where we celebrate the birth of Christ. Uh, and and we got to talking about it, and one of the responses that we both said and we agree on is the fact that if Jesus was alive today, he would probably be kicked out of many of the churches today because of the way he taught, the way he preached, the way he uh, communicated. It was a lot of things where he communicated, and he uh, did not coddle. He did not baby. He did not do those things. Uh, that a lot of pastors today are required to do. Uh, and, and, and I'm going to tell you something. He would not have been allowed to preach in many of the churches. And that's a sad thing. It's a very sad thing. Uh, so we need to remember that as we're looking through, uh, through our Sunday school lessons. Last, two Sundays ago, last Sunday, this Sunday, we're talking about the gospel of, by Matthew, Jesus being the teacher. The title of our lesson today is called "Life on a Firm Foundation: Life on a Firm Foundation." And with my trifocals on, this boy, is sure is weird looking at that screen off to the side like that. It'll I do have to get used to it. But life on a Foundation, the central truth that we're looking at is hearing and believing and obeying Christ is the solid foundation for our living our life. Hearing, believing, and obeying Christ is the solid foundation for our life, for living our life. Many people, their lives are getting turned upside down. They don't know which direction to go. They don't know what path to take. Well, do I know to do this? Do I need to do that? I've had people come to me and say, Brother Andy, do I need to lay out a fleece? Do I need to do this? And and I'm going to tell you something. If we just look to the Scripture and we look to the Word of God, hearing what Christ is telling us, believing what He said... And obeying what Christ said—that is a great solid foundation for living our life. We're going to also focus on assessing and adhering to the words of Christ as found in the Book of Matthew, Matthew chapter seven, and specifically, we we looking at this as this is the Sermon on the Mount. This was the Sermon on the Mount. This is the Sermon that Christ preached, the longest sermon that he preached, longest uh, 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 speech. Some have called it a speech, we're going to call it a sermon. The longest time that Christ spoke to a crowd, the Sermon on the Mount that is recorded in Scripture. And we find those, we started this last week, we're looking at these things, and we we look at the Beatitudes, the blessed are, the blessed are, that's part of the Sermon on the Mount. Well, Matthew chapter 7 lays down more of a foundation for us to live by of what Christ is telling us. We're going to emphasize believing and obeying Christ is the only way to have everlasting life. Many people, they try to figure out what Christ is trying to tell us and what we got to do and what we got to do, the directions we got to go, and all these great and wonderful things. And people are looking for loopholes in the Word of God to try to figure out how I can, how I can skip through this, how I can skip through that. Well, let me tell you something. We need to just believe and obey what Jesus Christ said in order to have everlasting life. And when we believe and obey, I know road's going to be tough. I know life is going to be upside down and bumpy. But that's the only way to get to everlasting life. Take a look at Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. Matthew 7 and 21, and it says this. Not everyone, not everyone who says to me, and I'm going to tell you, that is one of the biggest key scriptures I believe in. It, to me, there's a ton of it in, 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 in the Sermon on the Mount. But when we focus on this verse right here, not everyone who says to me, what we've got to realize is there are a plen- there are plenty of people in the church, because remember, the Bible's not written to the sinners. The Bible is written to the church. It is to show us the path that we're supposed to go, show us the direction we're supposed to go, give us the words to say to lead somebody to Christ. That's what the Bible is written for. Many times people will think, well, the the sinner will read the scripture. Are you kidding me? So what we've got to realize is the Bible was written to us, and it also is emphasizing just because somebody's in church does not mean they're saved. There's plenty of wolves in sheep's clothing that are trying to twist the Scripture, trying to twist the Word of God, trying to confuse people in order to, to make them stumble and fall. I mean, I, I don't know of any other way to put it. I don't know why anybody would want to call somebody to go to hell, but that's literally what they're trying to do. They don't, may not realize it, But that's in essence what people are trying to do. And we've got to realize just because somebody says Lord, Lord does not mean they're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the one that does, does what? Look at what it says. It says, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many times, look, salvation is the beginning. The rest of it is what we've got to focus on. We've got to... Yes, I want people to get saved. I want want somebody to get saved every service. It would be great and wonderful for me. But what we've got to also realize is after we get saved, doing the will of God, that's our life. That's what we're focusing on. That's the direction we need to be looking into. So we need to keep that into our mind. This is the third and final lesson. This is the third and final lesson on the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount starts in Matthew chapter 1, moves through Matthew chapter 7 and verse 29. It contains this the Sermon on the Mount contains concepts and commands that are m- uncomfortable with, for people, yet they are confronting the things in our lives. It, it, it forces you. Go back and read the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount. It for, if you read it truthfully, you read it openly, it will force you to make a change in your life. It is confronting to, comforting to know that God is aware of our needs and our struggles as we seek after Him. He supplies our needs, Matthew chapter 6. God is going to supply our needs, but it's comforting for us to know He's already aware of those needs. He knows what those are before we get to them. He knows the struggles in our lives before we get to them. We just need to trust in Him. Amen? Jesus included intentionally tension in His teachings. The tension that Jesus provided, that Jesus put into the teachings that He did, especially Sermon on the Mount, the the tension that He put in there was to cause us to wake up and realize what was happening and taking place. This tension is designed to lead us deeper into maturity. There are a lot of Christians that are spiritually speaking, they're babes in Christ, but they've been a Christian for 30 years. If I, at 44 years old, if I was still drinking a bottle that had baby, the, the baby powder. You put a little baby powder in it. and You, you, put, you put water in it. And you, put, you put the little, you put the stuff in it. And you mix it up. If, if I still was, it, Sister Nellie, would you make my bottle for me? If I was still drinking a bottle, how silly would that be? I'm 44 years old. How ridiculous would that look? Now, before anybody says anything... I know that there's people in nursing homes and there's people of all ages that they have a physical, something physical has happened in their lives and they may have to drink baby, or eat baby food. They may Because of physical things. I'm not talking about those folks. I'm talking about somebody, look, I'm fit as a fiddle. The eye doctor said my eyes are good regardless of what anybody else says. Now they're bad. Now they're good. Or, or, you know, I, I am good. The, the, the my medical doctor says, I'm normal. We all know she's wrong. But the fact of the matter is, is I am physically fit. If I'm sitting here drinking a bottle, that would be silly. There are a lot of Christians that are still drinking a spiritually speaking, drinking a bottle when they should be eating steak and taters. You hear what I'm saying? And that is what a lot of what the tension of what Jesus was doing in his messages, in what he was doing, he included teaching to purposely push you and I, to push our minds, our hearts to the edge of discomfort so we're not dependent on easy answers, simple formulas to walk with him. I have talked with numerous number of people over the years and in counseling sessions and one-on-one times and, and things like that. And and a lot of times what people will do is if I tell them something that they don't want to hear, they'll twist my words. If you don't think they'll twist your words, I'm going to tell you something. They'll twi- they twisted the words of Christ. Let me tell you, they'll twist our words too. You hear what I'm saying? But what we've got to realize... I've talked to many, 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 many people over the years. I've talked to them over the telephone, talked to them in person, sitting here, sitting here, sitting over there, sitting over there, sitting in the office, uh, sitting in, uh, in a parking lot somewhere. Talked to many, many people, and they have twisted my words to make it, make it out to what they wanted to hear. I want to tell you something, church. It's past time to get what we want to hear, and we need to get what the Word of God is telling us, and that is what Jesus was doing. He's not. He doesn't want us to be dependent on easy answers, simple formulas, but he wants, to ch- he wants to challenge us to make a change in our lives. If the Bible addressed every situation that we was likely to encounter, we was likely to face, we was likely to come into, guess what? You, nobody would be able to read it. If the Bible addressed every minute thing we would never be able to read the entirety of the Bible. Let me tell you a secret. It's hard enough to get people to read the Bible as it is. Do you think you'd be able to get them to read it if it was so thick? Because I'm going to tell you something. A Bible this thick, four four, four foot tall, still would not contain everything. All of the books in the Library of Congress would not be able to contain everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus said, nor everything that, was, that, was adre- that we face being addressed. But what we've got to realize is the Bible addresses a generalized thing of what we face and what we come in contact with. In fact, it seems the more time we spend in the Word of God, the less the more we realize, the less we actually know about life. We need to continually dig in the Word of God so that we continue to know more. If you've read the Bible all the way through, you still don't have everything out of the Scriptures. You still don't know everything found in the Word of God. What this lesson is designed to do is to challenge you and I to dig deeper into our spiritual maturity. I'm going to tell you, it's time for the church, for the church as a whole to not be five-year-olds. It's time for us to be 35 years old. spiritually. I'm talking spiritually speaking, folks. We discover we need divine assistance in determining how the, wor- how the word is to be understood and applied to our lives. This requires dependence on and communion with the Holy Spirit. This, this, us growing in spiritual maturity requires us to have continual communion with the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, tells us we cannot treat others like we think they should be. <laughs> 7 through 14 tells us that we need to apply God's wisdom to our lives. 15 through 29 Tells us that we need to embrace the warnings of Christ, apart from ministry of the Spirit and communion with the saints. I, I put a post on Facebook yesterday, and boy, I'm gonna tell you I stirred a little bit of a I, I hit a good nice little hornet's nest. Made a quote. A pastor friend of mine put a quote, and so I copied and shared what he put of a, of a Bible scholar. And this Bible, this the quote was. In mine and your language was saying that chasing after people and begging people to come to church trying to force people to come to church becomes very tiresome when people are going to mine in your language when people are going to do what they want to do and we can say this since COVID people are going to go to Walmart and Home Depot and all those other places but I can't go to church because I'm afraid I'll get sick that's part of it you hear what I'm saying and so, and we've also got to realize when we put all these other things in, this is going right along with that post yesterday. We put all these other things, whatever they may be, before God. Now, I know this is the holiday season. Everybody's got, everybody's got family events. Next Sunday, we've got a family event at my, grandma, at my parents' house and then also at Sister Carrie's family's house. Guess what? We're having church. We're having church. We will arrive an hour away when we arrive. What we've got to realize and understand, I'm not saying that that attendance here is God, but we need to put our relationship with God first in our lives. And in that aspect, being in the house of God is part of that relationship with God. I'm all about, I, I, look, I'm with you on vacations. I'm, some people have to work. Some people have to work. At, and, it, and I get those things. I understand even family events on occasions. But what I want you to understand is we have got to, we've got to get it in our mindsets that I'm going to put God first and then everything else is going to fall into place. I'm going to be real with you, and I hope, some of my, I hope some people in my extended family may be not watching. is nearly several, me and you talking now. Nobody else can hear me, so it's just me and you, okay? There's been several times that people will plan uh, a baby shower at 11 o'clock on a Sunday, 12 o'clock on a Sunday, you know, and expect us to be there, and it's an hour, hour and a half away. See ya. You might get a card in the mail. We won't be there. Why? Because we're going to be in church. Do you follow what I'm saying? And what we've got to understand, I I realize that family is important. I realize that. I'm all, I got you. Okay, I got a family. I realize that. But we've also got to understand that our relationship with God has got to have priority in our life. It is confusing yet difficult to weigh that balance out sometimes. It's a balancing act. I love it whenever I hear people, they can't be at church on Sunday because of this, this, and this. But yet on Saturday night, you, they, the pastor does see your social media pages. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go on now. I've meddled enough. I've, I've messed Brother Chuck up enough, so I'm going to go on. In all of his social media posts, I'm going to go on now. Brother Chuck don't have Facebook. <laughs> Let's go on and look at this. First, first section we're going to look at. I love this one. Do not be hypercritical. Do not be hypercritical. Now, we have looked at, on Wednesday nights before, we have looked at this word judge. You're going to find that word here in just a moment. Now, you better be very careful, and we brought this up just a little bit, but I'm going to dig into this a tiny bit more here in the Sunday school lesson. You better be careful of the, of the um, standard that you hold somebody else to if you're not holding yourself to the same standard because it will cause you to hit yourself in the nose, okay? I have firmly believed beyond, beyond everything in my mind, everything that is holy in my life, I believe that we as children of God have got to be held to a higher standard. I, I firmly believe that. We've got to act right. We've got to do the right thing. Now, I also believe whether anybody and and I have so many people they'll and this is not the time to argue. It's not the time to have this kind of a conversation. You want to talk to me about it afterwards? I'll be glad after lunch, after my after my Sunday afternoon nap, be glad to have a conversation with you about what I'm fixing to say. But I need you to hear this. I firmly believe also that pastors, Sunday leaders in the church, pastors, Sunday school teachers, praise team. They need to they need to be held to an even higher standard. Why? Because they're in front of folks. But there are people that have fallen, stumbled and failed, and they try to they try to play the victim card when they have stumbled and fallen from a high pedestal that some have put them on. And what we've got to or they put themselves on, whatever the case is. If I have a moral failure then I need to go through a biblical restoration process. I need to go what, the, what, the, in what is laid out in Scripture as a, as a restoration process, and if I don't do that, then I have no right to ever stand behind a pulpit again. I'm, I'm going to be blunt about that. If I have a moral failure that, causes, that would rise to the level that I need to be removed or, or put to, set to the side for a moment, then I need to biblically go through a restoration process. But there are so many. Bless the name of Jesus, I, I'm all that in a bag of potato chips. Your bag of stale potato chips is what you are. What we've got to understand is nobody is above. Nobody is above God. You hear what I'm saying? So let's let's look at that. So you've got to be very careful. We'll, 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 let's look at this more in detail. Take a look at Matthew chapter 7. Let's read verse 1 and 2. Judge not that you be not judged. Verse 2. For with judgment you pronounce you'll be judged. Now you, you, you're reading that, right? Okay. Me preaching against, and this has always been my example because I think that I, I think I'm safe in this one. Nobody can argue about this one, okay? you got a, many of these things that people are going to argue with you about. But I think I'm safe in this one. The Bible says, don't steal. It says, thou shalt not steal. If you are a thief, if you are a thief and you have, you have, you have stolen a car, okay, we all can agree that if, some, if, if Brother Larry goes up to the Ford dealership, and he uses he uses a mechanism and he unlocks that car. He uses one of those computer devices that can he, he steals the frequency to be able to get break into that thing and he op- and he unlocks the electronic lock. Brother Larry's got that device. You Okay, mm-hmm. you didn't know you had that, did you, Brother Larry? You might need it, huh? Well, you, if you've got that device, I might need to borrow it from you because we only got one key that works. But here's the thing. If Brother Larry's got that device and he goes up to Ford dealership and he unlocks a car and he steals a car. It's got the bush button start and he's got that device, electronic device to steal that car. Okay. He's stolen the car. Now he's back. He did that last night. Around around midnight, one o'clock this morning. He didn't drive it to church today because he didn't want everybody to see it. Now. If he did that last night and he came to church today and I preached against stealing. Does he have a right to holler at me and say, oh you're judging me, you're judging me. No. Why? Because number one, he didn't come around and tell me how he stole a car. But number two, I'm not judging. I'm preaching the word of God. There's a difference in preaching the word of God, preaching what the truth of God's word is, and going to Brother Larry and saying, because you stole that car, you, you are hereby pronounced judgment. you you seeing the difference. What is the, what is the sentence for, for, for stealing that car? If he doesn't ask forgiveness, separation from God. That's what the Bible says. Okay. Now, Brother Larry didn't steal a car, so don't nobody ever nobody go hollering at him about this. I'm just using it as an example, okay? What we've got to realize is too many times, non-church folks, church folks alike, they'll, they'll use that and they'll holler, oh, you can't judge me. Whenever I preach on stealing, I'm just staying on that example. We, whenever something is preached that would prick our life, oh, you stepped on my toes. I'm not aiming for your toes, I'm aiming for your heart. Quit laying in the floor so I'm hitting your toes. What we've got to realize and understand is whenever something is preached to line our lives up with Scripture, I'm not talking about a personal vendetta that the pastor may have. I'm not talking about uh, when pastors get up and they use they use something they know to try to twist it, to make it out like... I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about true, true preaching from the pulpit, true teaching from the Sunday school lesson, true witnessing that a Christian might do whenever everything's done in the right fashion, whenever a preacher, teacher, or anything of that nature gets stealing and somebody's stolen, that is not judging. We've got to realize that. Trying to help correct somebody's life, that is not judging. Do you, are, you, are you following what I'm saying? For what judgment you pronounce, what is judgment? When that judge is in that courtroom and he hits that hammer, he or she hits that hammer and says, you're guilty and you're going to serve 15 years in jail. Now judgment has been pronounced. Are you seeing what I'm saying here? I can't tell nobody what the only thing I can tell you is what the Bible says. The Bible says sin is going to separate you from God. I have no idea if you're going to spend your life in hell. I, I can't tell you that. You know why? Because I don't know if you're going to repent here in a few minutes. I don't know those things. I have stood there in a casket, and I don't know if that person went to heaven or hell. I, I, don't, I can't tell you. That is between that person and God. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have got to realize there are things laid out in scriptures. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. There shall not bear false witness. There are things lined out in scriptures that is specifically telling us, don't do it because you're going to be in trouble. Then there's also work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I've used this example before. I do not have a pair of short pants. I don't own a pair of short pants. But if somebody wears short pants, does that mean that I'm right, they're wrong? No. Does it mean they're right and I'm wrong? No. I don't own short pants. I don't wear short pants. And quite frankly, I'll be honest with you, it ain't, some people think this is a religious thing. It ain't a religious thing. My legs are white. That's why. What we've got to realize and understand is we've got to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, okay? We have got to pray and ask God. Live feed, there's people in the sanctuary laughing at me. We have got to pray and ask God. To work out that in our lives. For with, what, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If you're going to hold somebody to a standard, you better check your own life and make sure you're holding yourself to a standard. Do you follow what I'm saying? Okay. There are too many people, there are too many people that live a hyper-pseudo-spiritual life. For the record, pseudo means fake. A hyper-pseudo-spiritual life and try to walk around like they are super-spiritual and they ain't. And they try to pronounce judgment on people, this type of judgment. They try to pronounce this on them. Bless God, you're gonna die and go to hell because you wore an orange shirt. Hallelujah, bless the name. Come on now, you're the one that's in problem. You're the one that's in trouble. We've got to make sure we're in that. Judge. This means several distinct things. The word judge means to decide on a matter in a legal proceeding, to resolve or determine a matter. Based off of personal and corporate decisions. Judge to prefer one person over another based on a personal evaluation. If I showed favoritism to Dylan over Nathan because of Nathan's wearing a striped shirt then that is judging, and I would be wrong. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes, it's a striped shirt. I don't care what it is, it's a striped shirt today. Number four, to evaluate on a a person based on personal estimation. In other words, have you ever heard the phrase, I, I'm a pretty good judge of character, and in the first five seconds, I can I can pick out what they are and stuff like that. If you or somebody else's, if if Mary comes to me and tells me, "Oh, look, Chuck's gonna be coming in," and let me tell you something about him, and you base it off of that, you're 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 in a problem situation. You you got a there's a problem going on. You can't do that. Look, people come to me all the time, and they warn me about so and so and so and so and so and so. Nellie, people have warned me about Tony for, I don't know how many times. They keep doing it. They keep warning me about Tony. I just, I just sort of shrug my shoulders and move on about it, you know. I hadn't told Tony that yet. Don't tell him I told you that, okay? But here's what we've got to realize is when we do that, that's judging. The fifth thing, criticize a person's behavior or character. Let me tell you something. People go through things. People face situations. People have life things going, life happens. You cannot judge somebody off of something until you can't judge them, period, off of what's going on in their lives. But I'm going to tell you something, if something's happening in somebody's life, somebody comes in and they got a bad attitude today, the best thing to do is take a step, don't try to judge them on that, take a step back, give them their space because you don't know what happened that morning. You don't know what's going on in their lives. A husband and wife walk in, and they both look like they're sucking on a persimmon. Stay away. Why? Because you don't know what happened at home. Well, I do. I'm gonna tell you right now. I know what happened. That husband boy, he he just showed his little rear end at home, and I'm gonna tell you right now, his wife just chewed him up one side, and down the other. Now take care of that situation. You don't know. They may have had a flat tire. Are you are you seeing what I'm saying? Too many times people will quote, quote, judge things based off of what they think they know and they don't get the whole story. They don't get the whole situation. They don't get all of what's happening. Move on down to verse 3. Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye? Boy, I'm going to tell you something. That's one of the biggest, that's a big scripture right there. That's a very big scripture, Brother Larry. People can find what's going wrong in somebody else's life so quickly, but they can't see what's going on in their own lives. Can't see what's going on in their own home. Can't see what's going on under their own roof. I'm not doing anything wrong. Bless God. Hallelujah. But what we've got to realize is it's easy to look at the speck in somebody else's eye and you don't even notice the log that's in your own eye. Look at verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls to the pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Continuing along the themes of judgment, Jesus illustrates the concept of a vivid with a vivid, purposely outrageous analog. He asks why a person feels the need to examine the flaws in their brother, verse 3, without noticing the log in their own eye. This addresses the motivation of the examiner. Those who watch over our souls, your pastor, those that watch over our souls, your pastor, must be diligent in keeping an eye on the sheep, the flock, The church body's lives. Why? Because the pastor is going to give an answer to God. It's not being nosy and it's not meddling. I'm going to give an account over the lives of the people that has been under my care as the pastor of a church. I have to give an account to that. I'm not being nosy, especially if you bring me into it. I'm definitely not being nosy. If you don't believe me, look at Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. I'll just give you the verse, you can go look it up later. That's not being nosy. Why? Because I've got to, I will have to give an account to that. Jesus is not necessarily addressing that, but he is addressing that in the sense that even the pastor's uh, motives and lives have got to be pure when helping somebody as in a the, in the sheep in the, in the, in the congregation. So this is speaking to those, even pastors have got to be pure. Their motives have got to be genuine. If somebody comes to me and says, oh, so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so is doing this, 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 or, or somebody comes to me and says, you won't believe what so-and-so and so-and-so said to, said to me about so-and-so. I ain't got time for all that stuff. And I've had people come to me and they'll say, hey, Brother Andy, so-and-so came to me and wanted me to give this to you, that so-and-so, something, well, you go by and tell them they need to come talk to me. I got time for hearsay, I got time for those things. Why? Cuz you know the main reason why? Because details can get left out. What we've got to realize and understand in all things, motives and all of that have got to line up with the scripture. The second aspect of what Jesus is saying in this is he's talking about credibility. Credibility This language conveys the fact of what right do you have to even ask your brother about the small matters in their lives when you've got something huge in your own life. Years and years ago, I had somebody come to me and they was talking to me about, uh, they said, uh, such and such is going on in so and so's life and they was talking about this. And the whole time I was sitting here thinking, you're the one that's having an affair right now, and you're going to tell me all this about somebody else's life. And they wasn't aware that I even knew. Do you know one of the biggest jokes that goes on around Coosa Valley that, they, that some of our teenagers will tell people? If it happens here, Brother Andy knows about it. Somehow, some way, some shape, form or fashion, Brother Andy always finds out. I've had teenagers in our church. I've had young people, I've had people in our church. I go up to them and I'll ask them a question. And they're looking at me like, how did you know? The biggest source of information is the Holy Spirit of God. If so and so comes to me and trying to tell me such and such about, I don't listen to that junk. I ain't got time for that mess. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? Credibility. I don't know anybody that's more credible than the Holy Spirit of God. We have got to make sure that we are credible in everything that we are doing. We have got to be critical about how we're conducting our actions and our attitudes, our motives. We've got to be critical about that. We've got to look at that and we've got to be critical. Why? Because our credibility is on the line. Here a couple of years ago, Brother Tony and Brother Dan and different one, Brother Chuck, those that's on, the, on our pastor's council, they can tell you about this. A couple of years ago, we went to we was preparing. And y'all know that we're in the process of we're wanting to continue to raise money in our building fund because at some point in time we're hoping 25,000 years from now we're gonna ha- we may have to re- uh, re- replace these air conditioning units. We know that the quote last year that we got was $52,000 to replace two air conditioning units. That's labor and all. That's me unlocking the door, walking away, to a company coming in, taking everything out, putting everything in, $52,000. In order to spend that kind of money we have to get approval. From the state office. We can't I can't just approve that. That's a lot of money. So I go to my I go through the proper channels through the state to tell them what my process is doing. When it got before the state council, when the state council, this is in the minutes. They showed me the minutes for the state council meeting. They started to present that and they said, Well, what pastor is what pastor is asking this? They they tell who it is. Oh, we approve it. Then didn't even listen to everything. We approve it. If it was coming from Brother Andy, we know all the information is there. We we approve it. What we've got to realize is the credibility, our credibility, your credibility, the church credibility is always on the line when we're doing something. We need to be credible in what we're doing and how we're acting, how we're going forth, how we're conducting business, how we're doing things. We need to be credible in all things. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 seems to be out of place. But it brings perspective to the issue that's at hand. Dogs, in the early world, it's not talking about Oreo at the house. It's not talking about your dog that you have. Dogs, when it's referring to this right here, this is non-domesticated pets. Non-domesticated pets. This is those animals that are running wild they traveled in packs and were very vicious they were considered unclean as far as the levitical times was concerned the holy things were sacrificial meat reserved for the priests not the dogs so in other words why are we taking something that is holy and giving to something that is not holy i want you i'm going to tell you something And some people are are going to get taken back on this, but I want you to really listen to everything that I'm saying to you. God placed a ministry in my life for me to minister to people. There are people that will take advantage of that calling that's on my life, that ministry that's on my life. That's why we have to be cautious how we conduct help. Why? Why? Because God has given it, and if people are not using it for the proper thing, th- does that make sense? I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to give you an example. God has placed into my life, and it doesn't happen all the time. It, doesn't happen all, it happens often, but it doesn't happen all the time. I love it when it does. God has placed it into my uh, uh, One of the spiritual gifts God's placed into my life is the ability to lay hands on the sick and they recover. I know that all Christians have that ability. God has given that to me. I know that I've got that. I've prayed for people and they've been healed instantly or within the next couple of hours. When it's in Venezuela, this, this young lady had a withered arm right in front of our eyes. We're praying for her. All of a sudden, her arm grows out perfect. Sit there and watch that. This is a gift that God has placed into my life. Now, if I used that, this is what I'm talking about right here. If I use that, for financial gain. Dylan, you won't be healed. That'd be $50. No, that ain't right. That ain't biblical. That ain't scriptural. Who's the dog in that example? Who's going to get that spiritual gift taken away from? Who's going to be in trouble with God? So we've got to be very careful and how we conduct our business, how we do things. The, uh, the, in here also we talk about pigs. It was, cons- was also considered unclean. Pearls were sacred and very costly. No one would think of putting something that is sacred and very costly in the pig pen so that the pig could trample on it. What Jesus was saying was not to be harsh, but it was without a doubt. Referring to the ignorance of unrepentant sin. We have got to be discerning of those things. We do not need to ignore unrepentant sin in our own lives. Let's move on and let's take a look. Let's go on down to the last section of this. Never finish this up, but let's go on way down to the last section. uh, choose to build on truth, choose to build on truth. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. Matthew chapter 7, let's read 24 through 27. Matthew chapter 7, 24 through 27, look at what it says. "Everyone Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain fell and the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on a rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell and great was the fall of it. This is the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And he illustrates, Jesus illustrates, with a powerful illustration about the personal application of the truths that has been taught. He concludes with the personal application of the truths that he taught. I cannot stand it. When Christians, church folks, anybody will say, yeah, what's one of the biggest things? That people?" The devil made me do it. Quit blaming things on the devil. I'll hear wives say, my husband. I'll hear husbands say, my wives. I'll hear parents say, my kids. Quit blaming things on everybody else. It's time, this goes all the way back to the beginning of this Sunday school lesson, where that Christians need to grow up, And quit being on the spiritual milk. Remember I said how silly it would be if I started walking around with a bottle in my mouth? That'd be pretty silly, wouldn't it? It's the same concept. We need to spiritually mature. And in that spiritual maturity is taking personal responsibility for the things that's happened in our lives. This is the biggest lesson that we see here in this particular passage of Scripture. The difference between these two men, one acted on the words of Jesus, one did not. Both heard the same word of God. Both built, a, in this aspect spiritually, built a house. There's no indication that one was more elaborate than the other one. That, so we're going to say for all practical purposes, they built the identical same house. Now, we need to make sure that we apply this spiritually. This is the temple. This is the house of God. We're not talking about this right here. We're talking about this. One built their house on a rock, on the Word of God. One built their house on the sand. The irony is that the folly of the building on sand is not immediately apparent. Think about it. I build my house on rock. Somebody else builds their house on sand. If it never rains, if there's never a storm, if nothing ever takes place, you would never know the difference, right? Why? Because there is no difference in that aspect. But what we've got to realize is the moment, think on this in spiritual terms. The moment a spiritual storm comes along, what happens? The house that's built on a rock stands firm. The house that's built on the word of God stands firm. The house that's got a solid foundation stands firm. But the one that everybody thinks looks okay. The one that everybody thinks looks nice and decent the guy the person that everybody it looks like that they've got their, they've got their life together and everything goes great and wonderful everything's nice everything's per, perfect in their life the moment that a spiritual storm hits what happens danger comes along when the tempest stirs when the storm comes the house crashes and swept in is and is swept away by the swirling flood waters of life a life built on false teachings will not stand as long as things are going good it appears to be on a solid ground on solid ground but all of that changes when tests and trials come in their lives let me tell you something we've got to make sure that our foundation is on god Our foundation needs to be on the Word of God. Our foundation needs to be on Christ Jesus. Our foundation needs to be a biblical foundation, a solid foundation. We need to build wisely. I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to read this little story here, this this little bit short story here, and then we're going to go ahead and close so that some things can be preparations for our Sunday morning worship, what they're doing this morning. Years ago, the federal government built a million-dollar courthouse in Philadelphia. The building was almost complete when inspectors noticed cracks in the foundation. The brick mortar facing the inner walls had cracks in it. They done tests, and it determined that it was beginning to tilt. The building was beginning to tilt on its own foundation. Federal government had to put an additional $10 million to repair the damage and provide adequate support for this multi-million dollar building. What we must realize is the foundation is crucial in in construction and our own lives. The wise will build their house upon the word of God. Which, is, which will provide stability in the storm. The wise will build, will build upon the sayings of Christ and will be obedient to the word of God. Live feed, thank you so much for joining with us. Join us back at 11 o'clock for our Sunday morning worship. May the good Lord bless you as our prayer. Remember, if you've got a prayer request, you can text it to the keyword prayer to 205-642-8744. Join us back at 11 o'clock for our Sunday morning worship. May God bless you.